welcome. Let's give this a couple minutes before we uh, before we kick off to let some people trickle in. I just tweeted it out. Hope everyone's having a great what's today Wednesday. Great Wednesday. Welcome in, everyone. I'm going to, I promise, get into a more regular timing cadence on doing these. My travel schedule this last two weeks has been a bit of a bear. But uh, I think going forward, I'll probably look at doing something on, like, Friday mornings. um, Sometime where hopefully more people from different time zones can join. So it's not just... East Coast convenient. I know there were a bunch of people that joined from India last week. Um, I know earlier in the day is much better for that. It's a bit late at night there right now. We'll get started in, I don't know, call it a minute. Let a couple more people trickle in. And and for anyone that's not able to join live, this is recorded. So we will um, have all of the questions and any of the interesting answers will all be posted later. And people can tune in and listen to them there. Blake, if you are up on stage, you are welcome to unmute and speak as well. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. What's up? What's happening, man? How are you? I'm in uh, sort of your neck of the woods. I'm in Memphis, Tennessee right now. Closer than normal. Closer than normal. normal. Yeah, a little bit warmer. It's good. Good to be here. I'm going to go get some good barbecue, hopefully, before my time is up in the spot. Yeah, I've um, never been to Memphis. I'd like to go someday. It's great. Someday. It's great barbecue. Um, and they've got some great museums. You go to uh, Graceland. That's the big, big famous thing around here. Right, um, right. Well, awesome. Why don't we kick off? I know more people will probably be trickling in um, as we as we chat. Uh you know, topic of discussion for today was really about productivity. It's something that I write about, speak about uh, on different occasions, something that I think about a lot more broadly. Um, and I wanted to just be able to host kind of a, a really just a, a discussion and, you know, an AMA. So, so if people have questions, um, please uh, raise your hand to get added to the, to the caller queue and I will bring people up to, to ask so that we can make this much more dynamic and less of a, less of a lecture, um, ha- have no real desire to do a, to do a lecture here on productivity. You know, br- broadest point here is this is something that I have personally struggled with in a number of ways over the course of my really life. I was going to say career, but really over the course of my life, um, <clears throat> you know, I spent most of my life struggling with it because I am easily distracted. Uh, I'm like, a I don't know. I'm like a monkey brain, like distracted by shiny objects, um, as it were. And shiny objects for me could be a number of different things, you know, anything from like social media grabbing my attention to, um, you know, some new article or some new book or some new thing that pops up on my screen an email, whatever it might be. I spent a lot of my life constantly grabbed and pulled in those different directions. And I didn't really have systems or methods in place that allowed me to kind of fight against that. And so I personally feel like I I went astray for a lot of my at least educational years and certainly early into my career. And I think that, 
you know, digital connectivity uh, only makes that worse. You know, like when, when you work in an office environment or now in a hybrid environment, you're constantly getting pinged by things over and over and over again throughout the course of the day. You'll be sitting on a Zoom and rather than focusing on the Zoom and what people are talking about, you're seeing the notifications pop up from emails that are coming in. And there's like a natural cortisol response physiologically that happens there. You get a kind of ping of stress if you if you happen to read something that um, that you know you need to do. And it's very hard to fight against it. And, you know, personally, I think that hybrid and remote work culture has made that even more challenging because we used to be sitting in a meeting face to face. You couldn't be checking your emails throughout that meeting, typically. Um, but in a remote world where you're sitting behind a screen and no one can see what's on your screen, it's much easier to be grabbed and pulled in those different directions. Um, so, so I've had to and many of us have had to figure out ways to adapt um, and figure out what would work. So I want to talk about, you know, some of the methods um, that I've adapted and, and things that have worked for me. And then as people have questions, please um, just hit the call in button and I'll bring people up to ask questions and we can keep it um, as free flowing as possible. Uh, I've got Blake, my friend, up on stage with me here as well. Um, many of you know him from from Twitter. Blake is a phenomenal writer and, and thinker um, and someone who I think very highly of as, as a friend and as a person. So glad to have him as well and look forward to taking questions from anyone that, that might have them. Um, so the first, the first um, topic or tool that I wanted to talk about was something that I released in my newsletter today. I thought that was a good, a good prompt to kick off with, and that's the Eisenhower Decision Matrix. Um, if people aren't familiar with the Eisenhower Decision Matrix, this is basically, you know, in very simple terms, a two-by-two two grid that maps uh, uh, the level of urgency of something and the level of importance of something. And it all stems from this kind of famous Dwight Eisenhower quote uh, that said, what, what is important is seldom urgent and what is urgent is seldom important. And there's this important realization there um, that we constantly confuse the two. Uh, generally speaking, I find myself running when I don't think about it from urgent thing to urgent thing, from fire to fire. And you end up finding that at the end of the day, you're completely fucking exhausted, excuse my language. Um, and you didn't really get anything done. You, you can't really point to like what tangible progress you really made on any of the big picture items that are actually going to move you forward on anything in life. Um, and so I find that this grid, which, which I fill out at the beginning of every week, actually, like on Sunday, is a really good clarifying mechanism. Um, and whether you do it weekly or daily, um, I don't think it matters, but a really good clarifying mechanism to make sure that you're focusing on the right things. So what you look at when you look at this is, first off, kind of define important versus urgent to you. So important things are the things that drive forward your values, your principles, your goals, your key mission. Um, those are the important things. Everything else kind of falls into the bucket for me of like, you're just, you know, it's not important and it's something that you can think about either offloading or delegating. So really figure out at the outset, what are the important things that you're working on? And, and you're going to have things that are important in your health realm, you know, in your physical and mental health realm. You're going to have things that are important in your uh, personal life realm, you know, relationships that you're really trying to work at and build. Uh, you're going to find things that are important around um, around your work around you know your personal work or around your professional work and it's important to define those at the outset um, right when you're getting started 
And then basically you look at this grid and what the grid is, is um, it's a two by two. And in the top right, you have things that are both important and urgent. So if kind of urgency is on the X and importance is on the Y, top right is important and urgent. Those are tasks that are going to further your long-term values, goals, missions, et cetera. And they're also really urgent. They need to be done. And so I kind of qualify those as the like, do it now bucket. You have to do those things. Then in the top left, you have things that are still very important, but they're not urgent. And so these are things that, like I call them compounders. Those are the tasks that are actually contributing to your long-term compounding growth, your long-term compounding progress. These are things that you're getting out in front of so that they haven't become urgent yet. And the goal is to focus on these things. Like the smartest, most successful people in the world are focusing on those items. They're focusing on the things that are actually contributing to their long-term success, but that aren't necessarily urgent. They're able to actually sit, think, be creative, think non-linearly around those topics. And then the bottom half has things that are not important um, and they're not important and they're either not important and urgent or they're not important and not urgent. The not important and urgent things still need to get done. Like that might be scheduling something that needs to get scheduled um, as a one for me. Um, it might be a variety of things. They have to get done, but they're not important for you personally. And the goal with those is to delegate. Um, and it sounds easy and I actually find it's easier said than done. I still have a very tough time delegating. Um, but typically the goal here would be to delegate to someone for whom those tasks will be important. Like if you found an amazing office manager, it's very important for them to keep everything, keep the trains running on time and to keep um, things in order within the office. That person would find it important to make sure that the urgent scheduling matters um, are in order. And so you would delegate to someone for whom those things are important. And then in the bottom left, you have things that are not important and they're not urgent. And the whole goal with those is like they have no place in your life or in your headspace. And so you delete those. Uh, basically just don't worry about them and delete them from your kind of daily access uh, to your headspace. So that's how I broadly think about it. And when you step back and you think about what is the goal here, the entire goal is to focus most of your time and energy in the top left quadrant, quadrant, the things that are important, but they're not urgent, and to avoid things that are important from becoming highly urgent. Um, if you can get out in front of enough things and focus on the compounding that happens in that top left, you naturally avoid having to fight that fire on an important topic in the top right. It's impossible to always avoid it. You need to get that kind of out of your headspace. But the more you can get out in front of things, the more you can focus on them when they're not urgent, the better off you are. And the more your headspace is clear for that creative and nonlinear thinking. Um, so that's kind of how I would how I would think about the Eisenhower front. I'm curious, Blake, um, since you're up here with me, is this something you've used? Um, what have been your holdups with it if you have haven't used it? And uh, any other thoughts you have there? Uh, yeah, two things stood out to me just listening to you, just from my own my own journey in life. Um, man, I've never. I never really got distracted so much by shiny object syndrome as much as um, I get mired in, in the pursuit of perfection a lot, um, or at, at least I used to, um, where I wouldn't, I wouldn't move the ball forward on things because I would be so concerned with the fact that they had to be perfect um, before I 
sent the email, uh, turned in the report, uh, shipped the essay, whatever it is. Um, I would just get so mired in worrying about everything's got to be just right. And you figure out over time, um, lots of times, uh, just doing doing your best and doing a really good job and getting it out there is and making some sort of forward motion uh, is much more important. There's plenty of time to adjust, iterate, clean up mistakes, um, you know, as you move forward. Um, and that ties into, for me, that tie, that ties into delegating. I mean, when I first started, I've been, <clears throat> excuse me, I've been running businesses, managing large groups of people for 20 years now. And, um, I can tell you my approach to how to manage people today versus uh, how it was 15, 20 years ago is starkly different. Um, 20 years ago, I wanted to stand next to every employee that worked for me and watch them do the job and micromanage everything they did. And what, what happened was that that results in unhappy employees and it results in you as the leader of the organization not getting, not really moving the big picture initiatives forward. Um, so the, yeah. those are kind of, those are kind of the two things that stuck out to me. Yeah. I think you're, I mean, your first point on like, I, I think of it as like perfect as the enemy of good um, is a great one, especially for this like digital world that we've all entered because I, I mean, I personally think that like test and learn is, the way and the mantra with um, with the creation process and in particular with creative work, um, you're never going to get like you're never going to have a better environment to get um, live real time feedback than in the digital world. And being able to write, share, create um, and iterate in public is such a powerful thing. Like I, I constantly do this still, even at the scale that my platform has reached, I constantly um, test new ideas, like whether I'm testing it on Twitter and then resharing it, you know, in different formats on the podcast or on LinkedIn or wherever it is, um, you have this like real time melting pot of feedback that you can leverage. And when, when I've been paralyzed and when I've held back from sharing something because I was worried it wasn't perfect, typically that just, um, you know, was a constraint I was placing on myself. And it was something that honestly just slowed me down from continuing to create and iterate. I, I've always yep. thought, um, just like more broadly as part of the writing process, the idea of like drafting fast and editing slow was really critical to how my own writing process goes. Um, because I think there's nothing more daunting than just getting started on something. And once you get started, it actually tends to be pretty easy. Like I wrote this, I wrote this thread earlier this week about um, what to do when you get stuck. Um, something that I experience a lot where I'll be working on something and I'll all of a sudden just be like a oh, holy shit, you know, I have no idea what to do next. I feel lost and you know, not creative and just feel like feel in that rut. And so I've sort of kind of, I've come to like a, framework of how I approach it. And it, it's really for me about breaking up, you know, identifying why I'm stuck and breaking it up into these tiny little micro pieces. And then walking away, you know, you go get a coffee, go for a walk, take a shower, go for a quick drive, and then coming back to it, and basically just diving in like forcing motion very quickly on those micro pieces. 
Um, because I find time and time again that when you actually just force motion on something, you end up getting this snowball effect. It's like, you know, you get the, the one tiny win and suddenly you find yourself kind of compounding and snowballing that win forward. Yeah, it's like the um, it's like the old argument with exercising and working out. I read uh, David Goggins book recently and there was a there's a line in it where he talks about, man, um, I'm just like everybody else. I have mornings I wake up. I don't want to exercise. I don't want to go do whatever I'm supposed to do. And I made a commitment to myself that I would take the first step that every morning, the first thing I do is I go put on my running shoes. And he said, once I've got my shoes on, then it's a totally different decision to take them back off and not go do the workout. So he said, if I force myself to take that first step, put my shoes on, then then I'm off to the races. Then I'm going to go. And it's the same with anything else. It's the same with writing or in your job. You know, if there's a tough, tough task in front of you or something you're scared about doing, like, man, I thought for years about writing on Twitter and putting stuff out in public and never did it. And now, um, you know, not quite a year into it. Um, uh, now the thing I kick myself about is what the hell did I wait so long for? What was yeah. I really, what, what was I really scared of? Um, yeah. I know. mean, the thing, the thing with all of that too is, and I want to take Shane, oh, we've got Shane up. I want to take Shane's question. So Shane, you can unmute here. Um, the thing that I think about with that is, um, it's really hard to like actually have a grand strategy around any of this stuff because you have yeah. no idea where things are going. Um, like people ask me that constantly now of like, Oh, you had, did you have this whole plan of how you were going to do it and then like focus on it or any of the stuff I've done. And the, the honest answer is absolutely not because when you're just getting started, um, especially with like the way that the digital world scales and the way virality works, uh, you have no idea. Like by definition, you have no you have no ability to predict where you're going to be in three months, and it's because humans are extraordinarily bad at understanding exponential growth and understanding power laws. We just can't comprehend it. Like there's that whole yeah. thing of a piece of paper uh, you fold it in half, and if you fold it in half like fifty times. Um, you ask people like what the width of that paper is after you folded it over 50 times. And the answer is that it would like reach to the moon or something insane. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, And you just can't comprehend that because like exponential growth does not make sense in our minds. And I found that in the early days that like, I I never, if I had taken a deal day one uh, by day 90, it would have felt like an idiotic deal. And the same thing applied. If I took a deal on day 90 by day 180, it would have felt like an idiotic deal. And it's because you're like on this curve that you don't really understand. And so actually trying to plan is actually a uh, counterproductive activity. And we expect that it's a good thing that you should plan everything out. And I'm a big planner. I'm super type A. And so that was actually like a big mindset shift for me um, in the past. Uh, Shane, um, sorry, I rambled there. <laughs> uh, w- welcome up. Uh, what do you got for us, man? Yeah, what's going on, guys? Thanks for doing this. Um, so for me, uh, one of the biggest pieces to productivity has to do with how I manage my energy throughout the day and specifically like um, picking and choosing which types of tasks to do at which times of day, depending on what my energy level is. And I was wondering if either of you guys had any 
um, you know, routines or systems around making sure that you're doing the right things at the right times. Yeah. Dude, this is a great question. Um, first off, shout out Shane for um, being the mastermind behind my website. Um, absolutely insane website developer. Uh, but uh, yeah, this is something I think about a lot. And it was something I was planning to address. So w- one of the things that I think is so important with with kind of mastering your own productivity is figuring out like what your like they say circadian rhythm for sleep. I think of it as like your creativity rhythm for while you're awake, um, what that looks like. And I, the the way I did it was I took a week. Um, I think this was like last summer that I did it right after I moved to New York, I took a week and I basically in a journal just mapped out how I was feeling at different times of the day. So like every hour for five days, I would just write down like, you know, was I feeling inspired? Was I feeling kind of like a drag? Was I feeling, um, super motivated to do, you know, kind of humdrum stuff, you know, like basically how was I feeling? And then I took a step back on the weekend and looked at it and just kind of logged what times of day, like what patterns were there? What, what was it? And for me personally, what I ended up seeing was that like the first two hours of the day was really the only time of day that I was consistently feeling like creatively inspired. And then most of the rest of the day, um, I wasn't like that was my window where I was consistently feeling like really sharp, thoughtful and interested. And then every now and then I would get like a second wind of creativity, like after dinner, um, you know, from like five to 8 PM or something like that. But other than that, I was kind of a wash. Like after lunch, I basically was just sleepy and like, it was useless for me to do anything productive. And what I found then, like as a result of looking at that data, like kind of qualitative data that I put together was that, I became so much more productive when I then mapped what I was working on on a daily basis to those times. So I basically completely shuffled my day around where I, all my writing, I would stack into that early morning period when I knew I was feeling kind of like peak creativity. So all my writing would go into that period or into the end of day period. All my like emails, um, things I really didn't want to do would kind of go into the like, uh, times when I was feeling more of a drag, like when I wasn't really motivated to, to think creatively. And I ended up scheduling more like outdoor time. Um, like I would do a daily walk during those periods when I was normally feeling tired. So I would kind of like jam sunlight, hopefully it's harder to get sunlight in the winter months in New York, but during the summer it worked, um, jam that into the time when I was kind of feeling tired. So basically tried to like creatively map um, the workflows into the like energy modes that I felt like I was in. And for me, that was like, a, I hesitate to say a 10 X improvement, but it was a massive improvement in what my output and output quality looked like um, on a daily basis. Yeah, I think that's super helpful. And what I like about that is on the converse and um, you're not feeling anxious throughout the rest of the day because you're not doing these big rock items, right? Because you know that your morning time is the time you dedicate to that. So the the rest of the day, you can, something I actually like to do, I create something called a lazy list and I just keep track of all the things that don't require uh, high cognitive load to get done. And then those are things that I execute, like pretty much like you said, after lunch through to when I, you know, go to the gym in the evening. And it just makes me feel a lot better throughout the course of the day, knowing that I have times dedicated for certain things. And if it's not that time, then I don't need to worry about it. Yeah. And it applies, by the way, 
to like distinct tasks in a meaningful way. Like for me, um, emailing, um, like dealing with emails, triaging emails is probably my least liked task task. And I, I imagine for a lot of people, that's the case. Um, and I wasn't really able to do this in my prior job because emailing was like a core competency. Like I, I had to be a good emailer because you're constantly triaging different things on the deals I was working on. But in my current kind of state, emailing is not really something that's like a core workflow. And so what I've tried to do now is I basically bucket an hour a day that is the window when I email and I'm trying to be better and better about it to literally just like shut off my email outside of it. Because to my point earlier on having a monkey brain, email notifications like really throw me off and I'll jump out of the workflow to, to go respond to an email unless I truly force the issue and only do it during that one block. Um, so if you have the luxury of doing something like that, you know, even if it's two or three blocks, like you take, you know, take an hour and a half and spread it out across three blocks during the day, it'll just open you up to be able to actually do focused work during periods when you're thinking, you know, with peak creativity. Uh, and I think it's one of the biggest fears I have um, for most people is just that you end up um, not actually getting to think ever about what you're doing. You just kind of move from task to task. And I did it a lot in my old job. I just felt like I was completing tasks. Everything was transactional and I was never really thinking um, and never really having that time to have headspace to really think creatively or non-linearly around things. And it's really hard to generate like high quality asymmetric outcomes if you're not able to think um, during the course of the day. David, um, I think if you unmute, you'll be able to speak. Thanks for the question, Shane. That was great. Oh, hey, Sahil and Blake. What's up, David? Great. Not much. I... Um... Yeah, I read through your piece, and I was wondering how environment uh, factors into productivity. Like, um, I follow, I'm into value investing, and I know that Charlie Munger's optimal uh, environment, he has like a recliner, a stack <laughs> of books, and like a really powerful light behind him. And then like Bill Gates, he'll go out off into a cabin, you know, for a week, twice a year. And then Buffett, you know, he doesn't have a computer or any keeps his schedule really clear. Um, but yeah, in terms of uh, the environment where you're most productive, what that what does that look like? I know you go on walks, and that's yeah part. Yeah, that's a great question. It's something I've studied a lot too, because I mean, p people that have followed me know this, but I'm a I'm a, definitely a student of the greats, not just the ones that are living greats, but also historically. And Da Vinci had a similar thing. If you've ever read his biography, they talk about it a lot. It's fantastic. Um, so. I, and by the way, the Bill Gates one of him like going away to a cabin for the weekend and reading, I'm so envious of. I, I don't know how he's ever able to pull that off. Um, I think I would probably go kind of nuts. Uh, but there's something that's like very, um, I don't know, Thoreau-esque about the way that he approaches that. Mm -hmm. um, so so for me personally, um, I kind of put, put it into two buckets. There's environment that's like me forcing out uh, – negative stimuli from my environment. And so that for me is like, when I'm focusing on something, I put my phone physically into another room. Um, and that is because I know I suck at not checking it. So like identifying the things that I am not good at, and then really forcing an environment that mitigates those deficiencies is very important to me about an environment. I could be anywhere and I would do that because I know that if my phone is anywhere in my sight, my like inclination is to go grab it. I think that's just like dopamine addiction and it's not good. And longer term, I need to 
fight that and, and kick it. But in the short term, it's a great way to just force the issue and eliminate, mitigate negative stimuli from your environment. On the positive side, I think you need to figure out what is the environment that is optimal for that like headspace that you want to be in. So to your point, like during um, points of creativity, uh, being in an environment for me personally, outdoors is where I think most creatively. And so I go for walks every single day. I've tweeted about that a few times or written about it a few times. I basically try to like get outside with no technology on me and just this little, I carry around a little moleskin pocket notebook, which I highly recommend. I can share the link to the one that I have if it's helpful for people. Um, but I, I carry that around and I go for walks. Uh, during the summer, when I do my writing, I do my writing outside um, because I just find that the like fresh air is a positive stimulus for me um, from a creative standpoint. When I need to be like really focused and doing something that I think of as more like grind work, like if I'm writing an investment memo on something that I'm doing out of my fund, I need to be sitting at my desk um, with like certain bright lighting. And, um, you know, generally speaking, I put on uh, this is kind of a weird thing that I do, but I, I put on coffee shop music. Um uh, not coffee shop music, coffee shop background noises. Like there's this Spotify track called coffee shop background noise that I listen to religiously. Um, and I put it on like, you know, my big headphones and put it on and it literally sounds like you're sitting in a coffee shop. And for whatever reason, that for me is like a positive trigger that gets me kind of locked in and into the zone. And I think it's because in college I would study in coffee shops. And so it kind of still has that resonance and connotation for me. Indeed, yeah, all good stuff, basically. There's um, I think it's a great question. That, uh, yeah. Yeah, you can do. What, what about you? I'm curious. Oh, to me or Blake? David. Oh, me. David, you. Yeah, surprisingly, I, you. I first noticed that when I'm in an airplane, that's like the, that's like amazing how much you can get done just because you're forced to not, you know, use your phone. And so I can get like yeah. a lot of reading and a writing done. I'm actually in a car parked in a parking lot of a library to co come out and do this. But yeah, libraries are really great because everyone's very quiet and, you know, um, but, and I've noticed when I'm upstate at my dad's house and he has like chickens and a dog and like, there's always something to fix. And I've, I've spent like a month there. I, I realized that I get so drained. I, I, I don't get anything done. So that's why I kind of brought up this yeah, environment is such a huge uh, part of this focused uh yeah i do miss i would say if there's one thing i really miss about college it's like the college library um i used to get so much of my thinking and and work done in those libraries and there was something really i don't know if it's like romantic is the right word but there is something about even now when i watch movies and i see people like running to the you know college library to study for something i feel this sense of nostalgia uh, partially because I feel like I didn't take advantage of my years in college too and, and um, sort of let them pass by without really ever getting excited about anything I was getting to experience or do. Um, thanks for the question, man. This was, that was, that was a great one. Don't feel bad, Sawhill. Um, you're not the only one that did that. Um, just to piggyback on those, man, on both of those questions, for I'm pretty much the same as far as um, – I like early in the morning for the first two, three hours of the day. And it's for me, it's because um, I'm, I'm at a different stage in life. I've got a kid and, you know, once your kid's up, 
and then you know they want all your attention and then once you send your kid off to school then you're going to your job and your job wants all your attention so for me the first the first two three hours of the day is kind of the window where um i'm not i'm not getting emails i'm not getting phone calls i don't have i don't have all these other pulls coming at me trying to get my attention so i can just focus on whatever it is i want to accomplish for that day um and as far as environment goes um very similar out outdoors um is always good um for me when i write or you know work on tasks that i need to be at a desk i've got i've got a certain spot in my house that i sit in the same spot same lighting same pen same like all of the same I find that the routine of having um, doing that in the same physical place um, every day kind of triggers my brain that, okay, when you're, when you're, and that's the only play, that's the only thing I do in that space. So that kind of triggers my brain that, okay, when you're here, um, it's, it's time to be creative. It's time to get things done. It's time to move things forward. And, and, you know, in that space, I, I don't have a TV on. I don't have a radio on. Um, I suffer from the same affliction of being terrible about uh, checking notifications. Actually, actually, one thing I've picked up from Sawhill is uh, is just you know turning off the notifications on my phone. I had this I had this fear for years that oh oh god if I if I turn off notifications something terrible in life is going to happen and I'm I'm going to miss it because I don't have my notifications on or somebody's going to urgently need to get a hold of me and I'm going to miss it. Well, um, a few months into practicing this, uh, I've missed exactly zero things. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I, I, I'm a big fan of that practice. Yeah. Let's, um, let's take one more question. I know we're running up against the end of the window here. Um, thanks David for that. I thought that was great. Leferic. I hope I'm not hey. pronouncing that wrong. Sorry. Hey guys, Solomon Blake. Um, just a few moments ago, Sahil, you talked about how you didn't get the most out of college, and currently I'm a sophomore in college, and I feel that I'm just kind of going through the motions, and I'm not really doing anything that I'm excited about. So, how is? What advice do you have for me to? get the most out of college and find what I'm excited about. Man, this is a, uh, this is a big one. I, it, so this is something I think about a lot. I've actually talked about recently with a few people because I just hadn't found my, um, I hadn't found my like intellectual stride yet. I felt like I wasn't um, the curious, like, or, or really embracing curiosity in the way that I, I feel I do now as a person. And so, and the combination of that plus, an environment where traditional education tries to get you to decide what you want to do with your life when you're like a freshman in college or even earlier in some places um, led to me just like sort of picking a major and then just like basically going through the motions, even though I didn't love it. Right. I did economics and I thought it was fine and I learned quite a bit, but the reality was like, I have super interdisciplinary interests. And um, if I were to give advice, you know, to like my son, you know, in the future, when, whenever, you know, he ends up 
pursuing education or to you in this moment, I think my best advice is to like, try to be as dynamic as possible early on with what you're learning. Like if you're interested in something that seems super random and everyone's like, that doesn't make sense. You can't make a career out of that. Just push back against it because the reality is like career is so amorphous today. It's just not the case anymore that you need to like study one thing for your whole college experience in order to get a job. Um, if you're building real skills and if you're more than anything, if you're just like flexing your curiosity muscle um, and flexing your muscle to be able to go down rabbit holes, learn new things, pursue things that you're passionate about. If you continuously flex that during college, like that's really the ultimate goal of it is to come out being able to show that you are an interested person. Um, I think being interested is actually more important than being interesting. Uh, because interested people are just prone to going down rabbit holes and just diving in until they figure something out. Um, so if you kind of continue to pursue whatever path you're on in college and just find yourself kind of in a in a rut, just branch out. Go try different things. Like go audit a few classes that are in a totally different realm and see if they spark your interest. Read a little bit more broadly on the Internet about different things that are happening, etc., um, and then ultimately, the last thing I would say is I kind of ascribe to I think it's Naval who first said this. You basically in life either need to learn to build or you need to learn to sell. Um, and people that do both are a rare breed, um, you know, someone like an Elon Musk or like a Steve Jobs or, you know, whoever. Like those are people that could build and sell. But the reality for most of us, myself included, is we really just need to be able to do one. And for me personally, I wasn't going to be able to build, you know, I wasn't like wired the way that I would have needed to be to be an engineer, maybe in a different life. And so the skill set that was most important for me to learn was really to sell. And you don't really learn that in a classroom. Um, you learn that from interacting with people, from being around people, from kind of pressure testing, um, you know, your ideas, from bouncing things around, from trying to sell things. And so I would just think about that as you think about the skills you're developing um, over the next few years. Make sure that you come out, you know, feeling like you can sell. And sometimes that selling is selling yourself as well. You need to kind of uh, figure out how to pitch yourself and, and what you're doing and learning. But um, th that's kind of my handful of thoughts. And I apologize if it's a bit amorphous. Um, and no, by the right. way, thank you. Um, if anyone uh, wants to kind of go deeper on any of this stuff, I realize we're running up, up against the end of time. Feel free to um, shoot me a DM on twitter um if you just put like call in live or something at the beginning of it i'll be much more likely to see it in the uh in the mass of dms um but would be uh would be happy to chat and go deeper on any of this stuff um if i can be helpful to any of you so th thanks everyone so much for joining i know it's kind of an awkward time in the middle of a work day on a wednesday so i apologize for that and we'll be better about it in the future um doing this at more convenient times but really appreciate everyone for joining and uh look forward to chatting with everyone soon Thank you.